Welcome to the Mutual Aid Society podcast. I'm your host, Salamawit. Mutual aid is a term that has varying definitions. Here are just a few. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says it's reciprocal aid and cooperation as among men and social groups. FEMA defines it as the timely and efficient sharing of capabilities in the form of resources and services upon request. A more modern definition given by trans activist Dean Spade is, it's a form of political participation in which people take responsibility for caring for one another and changing political conditions not just through symbolic acts or putting pressure on the representatives in government, but by actually building new social relations that are more survivable. I created this podcast to explore the various forms of mutual aid that can exist within communities and how it often goes beyond money or financial support. Today's guest is Kendra J. Ross. Kendra is a proud Detroit native working as a dancer, choreographer, facilitator, and community organizer in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. As a dancer in New York City, she has worked with numerous groups and individuals. For example, Urban Bushwomen, Ashe Dance Theater Collective, and Moving Spirits Dance Company. She's also completed a European tour dancing with Adira Amram and DJ Kid Koala in Vinyl Vaudeville 2.0 and perform Egyptian at the MTV Iggy Awards. Kendra is currently a company member of Movement of the People Dance Company, her choreographic work has been presented at places like Florida A&M University, the off-Broadway show Seven Sins, Museo de Arte in Salvador, Brazil, Dixon Place, Ailey City Group Theater, and Actors Fun Theater. She's been an artist-in-residence at places such as Brooklyn Studios for Dance, Bates College, and the Neighborhood Project through 651 Arts. Along with sharing her art worldwide, Kendra serves as the founder-director of Stoops, an outdoors-based community-building event that uses art as a catalyst to strengthen ties between different entities in bed I appreciate Yay. you taking the time to join me. Absolutely, my pleasure. I'd love to start from the beginning. I'd love to hear about how you grew up, what was your environment like? Sure. Yeah, so we lived in a two-family flat in Detroit, and I always thought that my grandmother lived with our family for our entire lives. So I thought it was my grandmother, my mom, myself, my sister, and my dad, and my grandfather. But then I later found out that my grandmother actually didn't live with us, but she spent so much time with us. So she was there for my waking hours, and then ended up going back home. So I grew up in a family with lots of family around and it was wonderful. I think my fondest memory of Detroit and something that I still carry with me here in Bed-Stuy is that Detroit is a type of place where you can go from block to block and kind of feel like you go into a whole nother universe. So like my block, there were lots of kids. We always played outside. All of the neighbors knew each other, but I was forbidden to go like a block over or a block the other way because it was kind of the hood, which again, is just like you live in your childhood bubble. And then when I went back to the neighborhood, I was like, oh, it was kind of a rough around my block and I didn't realize it. So I feel like I grew up kind of straddling these lines of like what I thought was middle-class, but was right next to or maybe I wasn't middle-class and I just felt like I was because of the Mm -hmm. values and love and the way that my family provided for me. 
so teetering these lines of like middle lower maybe class. lower class yeah yeah no, I love that. I completely understand. It's interesting the way our memories shift over time. And then, and I think it also speaks to like how, as a child, what we actually value versus as an adult. So just a question I've kind of asked almost all the guests, is there a story behind your name? Did somebody give it to you? Or was it like some sort of inspirational story behind your name? My dad's name is is Kenneth Ross. So I always thought that I was named after my dad. And my mom told me no. <laughs> Actually, she just liked the name Kendra. And she said she had never met a Kendra before. And so she thought it was unique. And she's like, now that you're an adult, there are so many Kendras. I, I thought I was giving you something unique and I wasn't. So no, no inspirational story behind it besides my mother loving the name. But I actually, I know this is an audio thing, but I actually have like a little thing right there that has my name on it. And oh. it just says the meaning. So my name means knowledge. It means confidence. It means individuality. And so I think that I really embody those things. But one quick story, not necessarily my name being given. My mother was always adamant. I'm one of I'm from one of those black families where everybody got a nickname like Lil and Big and Dottie and Pookie and like all of those. So when I was younger, my mom was really adamant about making sure people called me Kendra. Like, don't call her KK, don't call her Kiki, don't call her Ken. Her name is Kendra. And she'd always say, because when she's famous, I want you all to say her name. And that that's always stuck with me. So I'm working on getting there, mama. But yeah, that is the special story behind my name for me. Oh, man. I, I love that you shared that because I think that's so important that we we really make it clear about how people address us and how our name is a part of our identity and making sure people say it properly and remember who we are. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. I have friends with unique names. And when I meet someone, I'm like, how your mama say it? Tell me how your mama say it. And let me try and say it how your mom says it. And I might not say it right because of my accent and where I'm from, but I'm going to try. I appreciate that. So in your childhood, do you ever remember seeing anyone who did the kind of work you're doing now that might've inspired you to do the work you're doing now? Hmm. I can't recall. I mean, I've always loved dance. My grandmother told me that when I was a little kid, the way she used to get me quiet is to like put on ballet videos and I would just be enthralled and be in awe. And I do remember like my favorite pastimes was like putting on shows for my, for my family, dance shows for my family. My grandfather, he played the trumpet. So I like oh, to wow. think that artistry art, and artistic inclination came from him but my family to this day they're kind of like I don't know where you came from because <laughs> there wasn't anybody in my family and not anyone in my immediate circle who was a dancer or had an arts organization so I kind of feel like it's my divine calling it speaks to the fact that it's my divine calling because it came from outside of what I could see so something I noticed just kind of looking at a lot of your work, it's actually great that you mentioned divine calling. I, I noticed that there's a lot of 
fluidity and connection seems to be like key aspects of your work. I saw it in your dance videos, even just reading about how you come up with some of your pieces, how you're connecting different cultural influences, whether it was Afro-Cuban, West African, House, Afro-Haitian, your connection to ancestors, because I think some of your pieces had altars in it, and even how you like the spirit of why you built stoops. It sounds like it's a desire to connect to your to your neighbors. So, you know, I'd love if you kind of can talk a little bit about that in terms of like, what does, how does spirituality inform your work? How does like connection to your community inform your work? Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because through my work with Stoops, I actually have an elder in the community who calls me the connector. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right, I'll take that. I, I, I received that name. I received that. Yeah. So I'm like, where do I start? So I am a Black American woman. People mistaken me for being like Caribbean because I've studied Afro-Caribbean dance for a long time. People mistake me for being from other places, but I'm a proud Black American woman. And like a lot of Black American families have very limited knowledge of the history of my family and, and my lineage. And I really think that dance became the way that I uncovered some traces of that. I don't know, but I think that I became profoundly connected to dances of the African diaspora just as a pathway of understanding the possibilities of my lineage and the richness of it. And so I don't know exactly what my lineage is, but for me, mm -hmm. studying these different forms that come from Africa, where we all from, was a way to be connected to my ancestors, even though I may not have known their names. So for a lot of my work is about finding, understanding tradition and how I learn from it, utilize it, translate it into my own contemporary life as a Black American woman. Even though my pieces have different foci or the, the, the question, the exploratory question is different, I think mm -hmm. the underlying basis of that is how can I use tradition in my contemporary life? I like to use Adia Whitaker's term, she calls it neo-folklore. So creating this new form of a tradition, this new form of folklore that's taking, not in a way of stealing, but mm. just borrowing. And this speaks to me. Let me see how I can translate this into my own practice, into my own ritual, into my own body, into my own movement. It's a process of discovery for me. So yes, I would say making connections has been my way of discovering myself. Yeah, I could see that because it seems like that's how you sort of shape or shift or reclaim your story. And you're also in a way inviting others to join you in doing the same. Like there's like two pieces I saw of yours that were really interesting and moving. One was like your manifest divine piece that you had. It actually almost seemed like a very spiritual experience watching it. And I think often we talk about music being this like spiritual tool or medium, but I, I think dance is too. Just watching your piece, it made me think of that. And now that you're sharing what your inspiration and your drive is, it makes sense and it shows in the work. What does community mean to you? Community is so rich. It can mean so many things. It can mean geography. It can mean those who are in your immediate 
vicinity geographically. It could mean mm. those who you have communed with through shared interests. It could mean those you end up interacting with through bloodlines. It can mean so many things. I think it's the folks that you sometimes choose and sometimes just end up being with. Is there a specific person, place, or memory in your childhood that sort of showed you what community development or mutual aid is? Yes, definitely. It was my dance training. I've always been a very ambitious person, maybe sometimes a little overambitious, but I've always had parents who were supportive of that. I never had the parents that were just like, oh, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. I kind of was like, this is what I'm doing parents and I need this, 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 and this. And they're like, all right, cool. And so how I started taking dance classes, it was like, oh, there's an after-school program. I want to take these dance classes. Can you sign a permission slip? And they're like, great. And so I ended up taking dance classes and an after-school program. And one of the teachers actually ended up being the stepmother of my best friends. And because of that, even after she had finished the, the program at the school, I kind of started following her around and like taking classes everywhere she taught. And my best friends and I, we kind of formed this like informal children's group that would make cameos in some of the shows that she choreographed for the local universities or some of the more professional groups. And so just this like taking under the wing and this apprenticeship of like, it doesn't have to be like, oh, you pay for classes. It's like, I see value and I see your hunger. So let me train you. And then going on into my more Western training, I will say I started to take ballet lessons. And at first I was paying for the lessons, kind of normal transactional exchange. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't afford to pay for lessons anymore, but I didn't say anything. I just stopped paying and kept coming. And our teacher didn't say anything either. She stopped asking and, and allowed me to come. But I had the wherewithal, I was in high school at the time, to know that I still needed to be valuable, even though I wasn't able to give money. So mm -hmm. I would help with the costumes for the performances and of course perform in every show and try and usher and just mm -hmm. lend myself in any way that I could to be valuable. And I think that really started the seed of this idea of a communal value exchange and that it doesn't always have to be about money. Like it can be about something else, something that feels mutually beneficial or kind of agreed upon. And so now I'm much more intentional about these value exchanges or even having the language to call it that, but definitely my dance training and these teachers who just took me under their wing and, and understood, saw my value and allowed me to add value to them. Yeah, I think that was my idea of mutual aid. I want to give them their flowers and Brianna Furnish. Um, Danis Lamora Perez is the artistic director of OU Oro and Brianna Furnish is the artistic director of Ballet Renaissance. Who or what are your guides in your life and practice now? And are there like specific communities you look to to anchor you as an artist and organizer? That's a good question. <sighs> I think I look to 
a lot of people. I'm really inspired by my colleague, Sydney L. Mosley. She and I kind of co-conspire on naming and framing some of these practices that we've been intuitively doing. And she has her own dance company and each of the company members have responsibilities outside of being a dancer that contributes to the holism of the survival of the company. And I think that feels like what, like a model of something that I wanna create. I think we're both really committed to having an understanding of capitalism and that we live in a capitalist society and not refuting the value of money, Mm -hmm. but also opening and expanding ourselves to what other values do we, what other things hold value of needs and things that we can offer that are outside of monetary exchange. Andrea E. Woods is another person who really inspires me. She is also a Black American woman, amazing modern dancer who explores a lot of folklore and a lot of folklore themes within her work. So I think in terms of my creative processes, she's definitely been an inspiration for me. And and this commitment to, to, so her, her company is called Women Work Solo Works. She's committed to supporting Black women artists in any way that she can to, to help us elevate because we know that some mutual aid is needed between Black women in my community. Do you consider what you do as mutual aid or has anyone ever described it that way to you? No, which is funny. So when you contacted me, I was like, huh, okay, it makes sense. But I never really thought about what I do in that way, because I think I've always thought about the formal mutual aid societies, like the second line communities in New Orleans, or even there's a pretty popular now that formed through COVID mutual mm-hmm. aid group, Bedside Strong, that formed mm-hmm. here in my neighborhood in Bedside. And they're really about making sure that, well, they initially started about started because they wanted to make sure folks had food during COVID, especially mm-hmm. those who, for one reason or another, health age, economics, we're not able to access food, Mm -hmm. but has expanded to all different types of services. So I thought about it in terms of that, but I was like, oh, I guess I kind of, yeah, I guess Mm -hmm. I kind of do mutual aid. I work to make connections. I work to use arts as a way to establish social interaction, because I feel like, my opinion, the root of gentrification is just a divisiveness in a community like folks coming in they're disconnected to the folks who've been here there's Mm -hmm. this invisible barrier of folks who have been here and be like all those newcomers like they just coming in doing things but I feel like when there's some meaningful interaction then folks will hold each other more will hold each other in mind in in terms of making decisions and there's some pathways for accountability so I am trying to create these connections for folks helping each other, which I think is what mutual aid is all about. I'd love to hear about Stoops and the work that you guys have been doing and the work you're, you're looking to do in 2022 and beyond. 
Yeah, absolutely. Stoops is a organization that hosts a big old block party, classes, and opportunities for artistic expression in unconventional spaces. And our vision is to make art accessible while honoring the local and valuing creators. Our kind of mainstay that we do is we hold the Bedsty Annual Art Crawl, where we have artists that perform on stoops and sidewalks around the neighborhood. And this idea was, was inspired by a gentleman that I met named Tiba Edwards. He used to have an event called The Stoop. And The Stoop was an artistic gathering meant mm-hmm. to bring together folks from the north and the south side of Fort Greene Park. So for folks who are not familiar with Fort Greene Park in Brooklyn, at the north side of Fort Greene Park, there's some housing development, some projects, kind of like old, lots of remnants of what they call old Bed-Stuy, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. At the southern end of Fort Greene Park is lots of new developments, an Apple store now, a Whole Foods, new stadium, new-ish stadium. It's been there for a while now, but a stadium. So it's kind of like a whole different world than, and you see that in the park. Like you go to the Northern end of the park and you're hanging out, you see a very different crowd than the Southern end of the park. So he was using this event to try and get folks in the middle of the park to to interact Mm. with each other. And so I was like, oh, that's such a dope idea. I'd love to help when you have it next. He Mm. never ended up having it again, but I was like, that would be such a good idea if that took place on an actual stoop. So I talked to him about it. I was like, hey, can I do this thing? He's like, yes, go for it. And so for me, Stoops is really about connecting different entities in the neighborhood, namely artists who tend to be newer to the community and who tend to be the Uh, folks who are blamed for gentrification with more established entities like homeowners, space owners, business owners, local organizations. So the idea is to get all of these folks to connect using the, the visceral power of the arts to interact with each other, to interact with the art itself, to interact with the artist, to form lasting relationships, to just give folks access to the art and something that has been one of the most important things for me is also compensating artists still a small organization so I'm not paying artists as much as I would like to but I'm very intentional about what are the other ways that I can support art how can I be a connector of artists to other entities in the neighborhood that are looking for arts or arts expression or artistic eye to whatever it is that they're doing? How can I give visibility to the artists that work with and for me? And also the same thing with with our local business sponsors. So we have some pivotal local business sponsors who have supported the event from the get-go. And so we really shout them out during the event and outside of that to try and increase local patronage to those businesses, especially during this time of of the pandemic where a lot of our local businesses are struggling or some haven't made it. Um, So for me, it's really about mutual support. Look at that. Uh, And and making connections. What does healing mean to you? Mm, That's interesting. Because I'm exploring that a lot in the piece I'm currently working on, which I can talk a little bit more about later. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Because I think 
especially now and with the media, healing has got this rap of being like this beautiful process with sage and crystals and flowers and mm-hmm. all the goodness. And I think that all of those things aid in the healing process. But for me, I think healing is really about destruction and rebuilding better. And I've really been exploring, like, at least in my experience, every time I've healed, it's been preceded by this moment where I'm a hot, I don't know if I can curse, a hot ass mess. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm questioning everything. I feel like crap. I feel like sometimes I've been beaten up, even if it's a a mental trial that I'm going through. But on the other side of it, I feel like it's because I had to break down some philosophies, reevaluate some values, some principles, break myself up some patterns or some habits or mindsets or perspectives and come out of it better. And sometimes that process is gradual and you just kind of feel bad. And then sometimes it's just, you go deep, I go deep in a hole and like come out out of at the other end, be like, all right, here we are. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your current guiding beliefs and values? I think more than anything, this time has reinforced my connection to spirit and specifically my connection to what what I call God while also recognizing that other folks have names for that but ultimately Mm -hmm. it's this fundamental love that guides everything that I do like a love so deep that I can trust it no matter what and that when I lean into it that it promotes that faith that no matter what, everything is going to be okay. So I've really been saying to myself more and more that God is love. I am love. And so therefore God is with. So I think that that's something that's definitely solid standpost that I'm a column that's supporting me right now. And also community has always been very important to me, but even with the work that I've done in Bedside, because of the companies I've worked with or because of just the nature of like rehearsal space, I spent a lot of time outside of Bedside. So going into Manhattan or traveling or whatnot. And the pandemic really grounded me in Bedside. And so mm-hmm. that idea of geographic community has become even more important for me in terms of developing deeper more solid relationships with my neighbors, with the businesses that I patron often, with the movers and shakers within my neighborhood. Yeah. And I have to be honest, like I did those things before out of the desire to have stoops be the most impactful, but the pandemic has really shifted my desire to develop those relationships just for me just for like supporting myself and my life and like my survival (laughs) literal survival so yeah I would say community is definitely one of those guiding Mm -hmm. principles and something else that I'm 
still in the process of developing, which I think is also kind of like follows the train of those things that I mentioned before, which is just an understanding and trusting in the power of myself and my abilities to do things that I didn't think I was capable of doing, which I hope that everybody has experienced through the pandemic because who the hell knew we were going to go through a pandemic? And look, a lot of us are (laughs) still here and have done things like I'm not sure when this podcast started, but like started a podcast or worked on artistic projects or did all of these amazing things. And that was out of necessity, but I want to hone that power of trusting in myself and my abilities when I'm not in a pandemic and my survival doesn't depend on it. So yeah, I think those are the three main things. How do those values show up in your work as a dancer? How do you feel that it ties into your values now? Or do you feel like it's shifted a lot? I think it ties in. I'm one of those folks who calls myself spiritual as opposed to being a part of a particular religion. I I grew up Christian and I definitely understand the power of Christianity, especially within the Black American community. But I really believe that there are different pathways to understanding what you might call God or what you might call creator or spirit or universe. And so I've been listening a lot to Oprah's Super Soul, which is amazing to me. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I want to be a spokesperson because I just talk about it all the time. But anywho, something kind of like that undergirds that something that she says is truths are universal. So it doesn't matter where you find this truth. If it's a truth, it's going to hold true no matter what. So I really feel these truths of, of God and, and that God is love, like in any religious practice that is really about connecting with spirit because I know that there are some practices that veer I'll say you're gonna find these truths and so I think that for me specifically manifest divine was my exploring this you know particular deity of Oshun which comes out of the Yoruba tradition out of West Africa but has made its way through the transatlantic voyage to places in the Caribbean to here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I wanted to explore this energy and how this energy manifested in me, in what I see, in what I identify as my own personal culture. And so for me, that's connected to this universal idea of like divinity and spirit and God, because I can see Oshun in African spiritual contexts, and it feels the same as when I see it, just to reference pop culture, when they said, oh, in Lemonade, Beyonce was embodying Oshun. Like, I can see that same energy there, and I can see that same energy when I twerk, and I can see that same energy in many different places. And so for me, it was, it was of like, where are the places where I see this particular energy, but that's connected to this idea of opening your perspective to seeing God everywhere. And so I think that Silver Linings was really about 
at the time, who knew that I'm like, I might need to bring silver linings back because talking about loss. So at the time, I felt like I and folks in my inner circle were experiencing a lot of loss. But one of the things that I was at the time exploring within myself, but really saw so strongly in the dancers who collaborated with me on creating that piece is that like I saw them be better people because of this loss. And so in that piece, I wanted to think about like, how can we change our perspective of loss to something, mm-hmm. to sell to a celebration of what's gained? And that doesn't mm-hmm. diminish the hurt and the process and the healing that we have to go through from the loss. But hopefully when we experience another loss, it will give us the confidence that we know we're going to be okay. Yeah. And we'll have something to celebrate because we'll be stronger afterwards. And so for me, I think it was this idea of how can I share my own personal loss with my community, with dealing with communal loss. So Mm. unfortunately, we're still dealing with the varying deaths of Black folks at the hand of the police. But, you know, at that particular time, it was like Trayvon Martin had been in the Mm. headlines and Mike Brown had been in the headlines and just the whole debacle of Kaepernick, like being in support of that and being um, ostracized because of of, of his support of, of, of those movements. It's just like, this is pre like BLM as we kind of know it now. But I think what I was trying to explore in that piece is like, how can I share my journey or how can I learn to shift my perspective in collaboration with community? So this kind of symbiotic relationship between my community and understanding myself sharing the lessons that I learned and also learning from my community. Did you ever make that transition? Could you consider making that transition of looking at loss as something that you gained or something that made you stronger or something mm-hmm. that made your life better in some way? So just this connection through community. And in my training background mm-hmm. as a young dancer, I had a lot of challenges. I'm not going to name any names because that's not important, but the places that I've trained in, my body and its ways of moving and its restrictions because of just the way that my body is built wasn't always accepted. And so it's really been a journey of me valuing my own way of moving and valuing the stories that I had to tell. And so those pieces in particular were two pieces that really started to get me to shift my thinking of like, oh, I do have something to say and it's not bad. Okay, interesting. Manifest Divine being like one of the first pieces that I like, you know, presented in another country and then Silver Linings being my longest piece at the time. All things are in divine order. I think that the reason why I was able to do those things is because I was exploring my connection to spirit and so sometimes in my creative process I would just get stuck and I'm like I don't know what to do and I would just have to close my eyes and be like all right spirit move through me mm-hmm. sometimes the movements that I would do would just be like what was that that doesn't even feel like it's in my vocabulary and I'm like okay because it wasn't because this is something else that's speaking through 
So let me open myself up to be a conduit for that. And so just in terms of like believing in myself, I guess in tandem with that and in connection with the other things that I said, it it never is just me. It's me Mm -hmm. and it's my spirit and it's God and it's my ancestors and it's all of the lessons that I was taught by my community in the past and currently and it's my community believing in me. So I don't have to just muster the confidence on my own. I have all of these sources to pull from in support of that. Wow, that was beautiful. I'm actually really moved by what you said as we're sort of winding this down. What does legacy mean to you? That's a good question. Hmm. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is children, but I don't think that's the answer. I mean, it is part of the answer, but I don't have any children now. So it's not, it's not the answer for me at this moment, but I'm coming to define it as how I am becoming clearer and clearer in my values. How am I sharing those values in all the things that I do? and hopefully shifting other folks to embrace those values as well and incorporate those values into into the ways that they live. Mm -hmm. So for me, legacy is if I was to leave this physical plane tomorrow, if folks were like, you know, Kendra was really about making sure that people were compensated and like felt valued and they started to incorporate that into the way that they lived their lives then I would you know my spirit self would be like all right (laughs) we did something um (laughs) so I guess I would say it's just the continual work on myself and sharing that work with my community and having that work persist beyond my self in the, on this physical plane, or even while I'm here, just beyond my own sight line, like folks who I have only spoken with briefly, embodying some of those values and taking them and and changing their communities, their lives, their families, that feels like legacy to me. So what would be your hope and vision for the near future? We'll say 2032 for your field, your community in terms of the work you do and and, and also in, in terms of like the types of mutual aid that you feel could exist? Hmm. Yeah, the term equity just feels too broad for me. I wanna be more specific. I feel like understanding and consideration feels hmm. like better for me because something that I'm coming to learn as I maybe get a little bit older is that I don't have to necessarily believe in everything and I don't necessarily have to accept lots of things like I can judge things I can have judgments but what I'd have to do is respect everyone and have respect and consideration for everyone no matter what their beliefs or perspectives are that there's basic humanity, human needs that should be, should be met and considered in all of the decisions. So that may look like everyone having access to 
housing, if I'm to be very utopic in this moment, everyone having access to meaningful art, everyone having access to education, it's about access for me. Because also understanding that the human condition is like, even if you have access, some folks are still not going to utilize it and take advantage of it. But I think not having access is a big issue. I want folks to all have some level of comfort and their basic needs met so they can choose to live the rest of their lives with greatness or mediocrity if that's what they choose to and that's cool but at least their basic human needs are are met i was still a little esoteric but <laughs> i think that's as specific as i can i think it's for, for me it's a, we don't all have to agree with each other but we all have to respect each other and what would the world look like if we could all get to a place of mutual respect and a love that at least supports the, the basic humanity of someone? And then we can go off from that. <laughs> so if this conversation is a capsule for your contribution to your community, and it's also a capsule of your story at this time, is there anything else you'd like to share or say regarding like your thoughts or feelings around art, around community development, mutual aid? The project I'm working on right now is called the Sankofa Residency. And this project is taking a deep dive into the history of Bed-Stuy, specifically looking at that moment where Bed-Stuy went from kind of what it was known as do or die to this place that's highly gentrified and very expensive, but lots of folks flock to live. And it's like, how can we use the, the lessons or the ways that folks made that transition in the past to understand how we move forward now? And what I'm learning is that it took a lot of self-determination. It took a lot of healing and it took a lot of being connected as a community. So if I was to share, my hope is that we can continue to investigate, learn, interrogate history as a way to understand now, whether that be things that we want to take, things that we want to intentionally leave behind because mm -hmm. it no longer serves us, things that we want to creatively reimagine or translate or transmute into making it our own, but remembering and reimagining and being in this constant cycle of remembering and reimagining and remembering and reimagining. Because the more that you remember, hopefully you catapult yourself into the same cycles and that not to discount the circularity, but to encourage the circularity to become a spiral that continues to move forward as opposed to a stagnant circle that just goes round and around and around and around. That's a beautiful visual. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you so much, Kendra, for this conversation, for sharing your ideas, your story. I appreciate your time. I think you have a very expansive way of looking at community and art. I hope the listeners will be inspired by your story and by your work. Thank you so much. One final thing. How can people best support Stoops if you want to plug 
social media, website, anything? What, what is the best way they can stay up to date on your dance and your organization? Yeah, so for Stoops, please follow us uh, on Instagram and Facebook. We're at, at Stoops Bedside. And our website is stoopsbedstyle.org. Try to keep the website up to date on what's going on with us. And in terms of my, and we are always accepting donation because we're a nonprofit. Like I said, we value lots of things outside of money, but money, we live in America. So we need money too. And in terms of my artistic work, you can find me at the Kendra J. Ross on social media. And then my website is thekendrajross.com. Perfect. Thank you, Kendra, again. Thank you to the listeners. And until next time, stay safe and well.